I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And today, my co-host is joining me, Josiah how are you? Babe, I'm doing incredible. Yourself? I'm doing great. The sun is shining. It is about zero degrees, but you know what? It's not negative 40 and the wind's not 60 miles an hour. So I'll take it. Hey, it can be <laughs> negative on the outside. We're going to be positive on the inside. Am I right? There you go. I'm right. Oh no. <laughs> and we're joined by a returning guest, our friend, Dr. John Deloney. How are you? I'm great. Y'all doing well? It, I'm from Texas. So zero I know people like we have this imagery of hell being hot, but zero degrees as a Texan, I don't, that's the only thing I can think of. It's, it just sounds miserable. Y'all look so cheery and joyful and it's zero. So thank you for bringing some joy into my life. There Let's you go. go. Survival of the fittest, I guess. It's, it's <laughs> well, like 50 insane. degrees here in Nashville and basically the city shut down. It's just too cold. So oh, no. y'all are making it. oh my well, gosh. We're alive and thriving up here in the Midwest. So I guess the cold can't stop us now, but it's true. And we just want to say thanks for listening. Young adults today, fam, you guys are the best. Mm -hmm. We just um, believe that amazing things are taking place in your life and new episodes drop every Monday morning early to help you start your week off strong. So thanks for subscribing and leaving Mm -hmm. us ratings helps us reach more listeners with the message of young adults today. Go ahead and share this episode uh, as you find it helpful, maybe with, with somebody who's going through a struggle or trauma or hard things. This episode is going to be for you and for them. And for those listening uh, who are new to Dr. John Deloney, he is a national bestselling author, brand new book in this conversation, Own Your Past, Change Your Future. Um, He's one of the Dave Ramsey personalities. He's the host of the Dr. John Deloney show. And uh, he has a goal to help you navigate tough decisions, improve your relationships, and believe you're worthy of being well. So we're excited to jump into today's conversation. And where we want to start, Dr. John, is Mm -hmm. this idea of mental health, because so many of us have turned to our screens here the past two years into social media, and we're coming up empty. We're coming up lonely. And uh, I'm just curious, what do you see as the difference between social media and actually connecting in a meaningful way? That's a good question. Let me first start by saying thank you for your kind introduction. Uh, I'm used to my buddies introducing me to their friends and they're like, this guy's an idiot. So yours is much nicer. I'm grateful for that. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) So let's go back. Let's pretend you're in the Midwest. So let's rewind a couple of thousand years and let's pretend that we are uh, our tribe is we're finishing up a meal and the fire is burning down into coals and then we bed down for the night. And the next morning you wake up and your tribe has left you. They're gone. Your heart would race, your, you know, your uh, eyes would, would really focus in, your ears, your hearing would become attenuated. You would, your body would know you're probably going to die. You've been left completely alone. Our nervous systems, our bodies are designed to be in connection. So fast forward 2,000 years to right now. For the last two years, other people have been the potential threat in our lives. 
So if mm. you think about 9-11, 9-11 happens, we had a picture, you know, what they told us of what the threat was. Mm -hmm. The past two years, the threat might be a neighbor. It might be the old woman walking her dog who's got COVID who's going to give it to me. I'm going to pass it on to somebody and they're going to, it might be my kid who's wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Our bodies are rattling, just shaking at the seams because the thing that we are designed to, to keep us alive and well and whole, which is other people, has all of a sudden overnight become the poison. Wow. And so mm -hmm. what do we do is we turn to these screens and you've heard this statistic. I haven't seen any literature on it, scientific literature. I need, I need to spend some time digging into it. That 70, 80, 90% of communication is nonverbal. Mm -hmm. Our bodies absorb each other. And I know that sounds weird, but our heart rates will sync up. It's called co-regulation. Our eyes will begin to, to we'll, we'll begin to move our bodies in the same way. Just go into a crowded room one day and just touch your face and then just look around and see how many people will just reach out. It just, it, we just, we're, we mimic each other. It's just what we do. And we outsourced all of our interactions on these little boxes, on these little, these, these little screens. And so we are communicating with each other more than ever, 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 but we're connecting less and it's, it's pulling our brains apart. It's not, our brains aren't designed to interact with somebody and they're not there, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't have this 2000 years ago. They had it 15, 10 years ago. And so we are asking our brains to do something, which is to be in an intimate relationship, but not be in the same room that wow. our brains aren't designed for. And so we are just coming apart at the seams because we got more information. You texted me 40 times today that you love me, but I haven't heard you. I haven't seen you. Wow. Since, and our bodies are, are falling apart. Wow. That's in so interesting to even try to wrap your mind around and comprehend that. And I'm just reminded, I was talking to my sister this morning and she's mentoring this younger girl. And my sister worked in the school system since then. She's kind of moved out and she's a full-time mom now. But one of the students still is reaching out to her and she's now a freshman in college. So she didn't have a traditional senior year. She does not have a traditional freshman year into her college year, uh, first year on a college campus or whatever. And my sister had posed the question. She goes, is this generation... It, are you guys like we're claiming that you're lonely are you as lonely as we think you are and she's like oh 100 definitely and she described it not exactly how you did but saying like i haven't seen people i haven't been in contact with some of my classmates i haven't stepped foot in a classroom it's all virtual it's online it's like like you said like there's no physical interaction of even a handshake it's like okay yep I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the chat box or, you know, you can yeah. see my face, but you might not the, even hear the, from me, you know, the medical professionals and the mental health professionals I've been in contact with over the last few years, they suggest that the ripple effects from this season on these young people will go on potentially for generations. Um, what, what's happened to them is so unique in history mm -hmm. that they have been completely isolated from every, they just have been deprived of oxygen for mm -hmm. three year, two to three years now. And it will, it'll be hard unwinding that level of physiological trauma. Well, it's an important, it's an important thing to have conversations yeah. about. And Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's why we're here today. And even for the listener, there are many of our listeners who are college students themselves. They are young adult ministry leaders. They're finishing out their seminary degrees. They're in these new full-time roles, trying to navigate many of the people listening, I would say, who have reached out and said, Hey, I got my first job in ministry, March, 2020. <laughs> two weeks later the whole world shut down like how do you start something when you haven't even put like one the one brick down is 
Christ at the center. Okay. Where are the people? They've all taken off, you know? That's so, right. so we're just trying to like, we've had so much time to think so much time to reflect so much time to pivot and move and at a fast neck breaking speed. Like we're trying to catch up and we're trying to work through all these different layers, but there's many people that have come across the two terms that are just you know, crippling all of us on some levels or have the ability to cripple us. And that's anxiety and depression. And we don't want to negate the fact that they are real, but some of those things from anxiety and depression can be wrapped around our past and past decisions, mistakes, regrets, things we wish we would have said no to things we wish we said would or should have said yes to. So my question for you is Dr. John, can people get past their past? And if so, how do we start doing that? And maybe where do we start? Oh, that's a great question. So let's, let's go to start with anxiety and depression. I like, it's more complex than this and it takes out, I mean, you can get a whole degree in this, right? So I, to, to simplify it for myself, I just look at anxiety and depression. I think we talked about this last time. Those are simply alarm systems that are letting yep. us know that our bodies are out of sync that we are out of step with our community, that we're not safe, that we're in, a, we're in a place where we're out of control, right? And anxiety and depression, unfortunately, have been given two diagnostics. And so you can go to a doctor and get, you know, diagnosed with this one or diagnosed with that one. They're on the same trend line. They work together mm-hmm. um, in, in your body. So when I talk about getting past our past, um, the reason I have a child, I don't like that language, um, or the reason I, I, I've tried to come up with a new way to, to think about it is mm-hmm. when you hate parts of yourself or you haven't made peace with parts of yourself, it's a threat to your body. It's a threat to your mm-hmm. relationships. You can never show up whole because there's 11% of you that remembers the thing you said or the thing you did that you probably shouldn't have or those people or whatever happened. And so you can never stand before anything that matters to you fully present because you're still hiding. And when you deal with your past, you deal with secrets, you deal with things that we don't talk about, or you deal with things you don't even remember because your body loves you so much. It tries to protect you from those things. Let's don't even think about them. And Brene Brown says it best. Shame eats secrets for breakfast. Secrets destroy everything. And so Owning your past is different than getting over your past. Owning it is saying, this is the road I've traveled. And some of that road, I was just born into it. I was born Mm -hmm. into a family of divorce. I was born into a family of abuse. I was the wrong color in the wrong neighborhood. People told me I was less than. Then some of these stories we were told, like our dad says, you can be anything. And they show up, he shows up to our games and he shows up to our little knuckleheaded plays or whatever. Or we were born into a house that said, you are an absolute drain on my life. Here's a screen, get out of my face. I want to check Instagram. That's more important than you, right? And we're born, we're told these stories about ourselves and those things become our physiology. They become how we breathe and interact with the world. And they show up when we get married, right? Mm -hmm. They show up when we have our first kid, they show up at our first job. And so what I want people to do is not run from your past, not try to get past your past. I want you to take full ownership of it. And a lot of ownership, for me, for most of us, a lot of that ownership is recognizing two hard things. Trauma, a lot of stuff happened to us or stuff that should have happened didn't, right? So we often think of trauma as the big stuff or even the little stuff. Trauma is also your parents should have looked you in the eye and said, I love you and you have value. 
your parents should have worked hard on their marriage so that you as a child could be anchored into that stable relationship. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't, that's trauma too, right? Um, and the second thing is you got to grieve. And we've run as a culture, we run from grief. We don't like feeling uncomfortable or sad. And grief is a gift. It's a cornerstone uh, process of our bodies. And, and I made stupid decisions. I said stuff that hurt people. I spent money in stupid ways. I took out a bunch of loans. I had girlfriends. I had boy, whatever the thing is, mm -hmm. you got to own it. And then you got to sit in it and grieve it. And mm -hmm. then you're able to say what comes next. Well, Dr. John, this is in your book, by the way, um, which congrats, by the way, it's book launch week and we're excited we're about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm an introvert and I just have written for academics, for nerds for my whole life. So this whole thing is new for me. So um, knowing that my mom can just buy this in a store is kind of tripping me out a little bit, but that's part of the process. <laughs> it is part of the process and uh, going deeper, you just touched on grief. And uh, in your book, you actually mentioned that grief is kind of defined as the gap between what you hoped would happen and then what actually happened. So can you go there for a second and maybe take us deeper mm. into this idea of grief? We don't talk about it very much. And I'm curious, and I know the listeners wondering, like, how, how can I grieve? So what are some tips for grieving? Oh, man, that's great. Um, so we over-sensationalize grief a lot, and we minimize some of the processes our body's going through every day. And you'll notice I talk a lot about the body. I think as a culture, we've gone to war against our bodies. We tell our bodies we shouldn't feel like that, shouldn't think like that. It's bad. It's, it's broken. It's dysfunctional. And really, the body's just trying to keep us afloat, right? Mm -hmm, right. And so I've, I've made peace with my body, which, of course, then helps with anxiety and depression and relationships, all that. But so when it comes to grief, we often think of the loved one who suddenly drowned or our beloved grandmother passing away or collectively as a country, we've lost you know, almost a million people because whatever the thing mm -hmm. is, we think of grief as this big thing. And I, I think we miss 95, 98% of our lives when we look at grief that way. Grief is like you mentioned, just the gap between what I hoped for or what I wanted and what actually happened. And that can be as small as Hey, I think uh, my performance review is this week. I think I'm going to get a raise and you don't. And you go, oh, well, you start comparing grief. You minimize it. You maximize, you over sensationalize it. You just got to stop and say, I hoped for this and it didn't happen. And I got to go. Ugh. And then in that gap, I get to decide what's next. I get to look in the mirror and say, am I part of the problem? Am I not doing work worthy of a raise? Is my boss a jerk and a scumbag and stealing my life from you? Know what I mean, then you get to have, but if you don't pause and grieve, your body goes into fight or flight and nobody makes good decisions in fight or flight because your brain and body are just trying to get out of wherever you are. And so that you look around at our culture, we haven't sat down and said, look at what just happened to us. Mm -hmm. Look what is happening to us. And you see a culture that's angry and spun out and yelling and running from thing to thing to thing. That's fight or flight. That's a culture that has been activated and everybody got, needs to stop and just breathe and go. And so I want people to grieve the teeny stuff. You know what? I, I really want a burger tonight and I get home and I'm like, hey, honey, let's go grab cheeseburgers. And she's like, Ugh, gross. I want Mexican food. I need to say in my head quietly to myself. I don't need to say it out loud. <laughs> 
I really want a burger. And I'm after the sake of this relationship, like Mexican food's pretty good too. So I'm going to go there. I just need to call it out. I need to acknowledge it. I thought I would get to work on time today and I was late. I need to just own. I thought this was going to happen. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And with the big stuff, it's hard to look in our wake. I believe this is one of the main challenges with healing in our culture today is if we're honest about certain things, we have to look in the in, behind us at the wake of people we hurt mm-hmm. trying to be funny or trying to be right or just doing what we were told. And we have to look back and go, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I got to grieve that. Or if you were abused as a kid or neglected as a kid or you made stupid decisions in high school and college, whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. you got to grieve it and say, I wanted something different and it didn't happen. And I'm going to own it. I'm going to sit in it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to get people around me. We're going to sit in this together. And then only then can we decide what comes next. Otherwise you're just running and fighting for the rest of your life. Wow. That's so good. I was taking notes while you were talking about this and I'd just be curious to take us maybe one step deeper. How do we identify grief and that grieving process versus being angry at ourselves or at someone or at something or even God and maybe confusing it with an unmet expectation of disappointment? Like, is there a difference between grief and then the definition maybe of an unmet expectation? Are those, yeah, they correlate I, in any way when we process that first step of identifying? So I, I always want to, when I have feelings, whether that's frustration, anger, you know, excitement, joy, those are all, again, signals pointing me towards things I okay. care about. And I want those things to be indicators. I don't want them to be, um, they are the GPS. They're not the destination. Maybe that's the That's good. That's good. It points to where I need to go. It tells me where the candy shop is, but it's not the gummy bears that I'm sticking my face in, right? It's <laughs> just, just crushing, right? And I do have a problem, by the way. Um, so when it comes to dealing with unmet expectation, yeah, that's grief. I expected this to happen and it didn't happen. I expected to have two parents who were going to love me and stay together and be cool and not be abusive and not cheat on each other. Whatever. It didn't happen. Right. And then I feel these things. I feel anger. I feel disappointment. I feel grief. That is a part of the grieving process. That's good. Those feelings. That's so good. Is that helpful? Um, yes. Yeah, so helpful. Okay. Awesome. Cause That's I think one question. term, cause I think one term that I've just been wrestling with, I was listening to Chick, Chip Ingram and he's talking about why are we so angry? Like, why do we go from zero to a hundred in so many different areas of our life? And he was talking about desire um, versus demand. Like you may desire a strong, healthy marriage, even in a world of chaos, but I can't, you can't demand like things from your spouse. Like it's a condition of the heart on some levels, right? Desire, if a desire isn't fulfilled, it's going to lead to disappointment. And it kind of aligns with what God's will is. A demand is a result of an unmet expectation that creates anger and frustration. And we come at our spouse instead of to our spouse. So I was just processing like the unmet expectation. I think we're saying very similar things. Um, I'm taking a neuroscience approach and he's taking more of a of a evangelical approach, right? But yeah. at the end of the day, I think the the move that we're both making is the same, which right. is you want something to be different in your life, or you hoped it would be, yes, and it's not. Yep. And whether you're putting a demand on it or you're going to war with it, I, I I think just looking at the way the brain works, looking at our culture, it's it's just black and white. Mm-hmm. We are in fight or flight. We are running and screaming. We are traumatized. We're exhausted. And when you do that, your brain literally has a mechanism, right? Your brain doesn't want you. And we may have talked about this last time. If you're walking in a dark alley and somebody pulls out 
a what looks like a black piece of metal, your brain is going to trade literally in that moment. It's going to unhook your frontal lobe. It's going to trade accuracy for speed. That looks close enough like a gun. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if I if I'm wrong and it's just like a you know a candy bar, no harm, no foul. I'm still alive. If I'm if I'm wrong and it's actually a gun and I just hang around like it's all cool, then I don't live. And so our brain has a built-in mechanism. That looks like a bear. Let's just run anyway. I'm going to start your heart racing, you know, and we feel that all the time. And so we have a active, a, a, a country. We have a civilization, a whole culture that is so activated. You hate me. I hate you. We're trading speed for accuracy. And when that happens, you bundle up with your tribe, you split sides and you say there while I'm hurting, you're while I'm hurt, why I'm hurting. And then you just go to war, right? You just go to war or you, your body shuts down and that's the anxiety and that's the depression. So me, we're saying the same thing there. Yeah. I I was just learning about this yesterday. So I was like, kind of unpacking like, okay, I think it sounds so similar, but I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth or misinterpret what I, what my brain is telling me. So, so good. Do you have something to say? No, I was just going to say, like, I think that so much of what you just described is our, our culture is very divided things are very charged. Everyone is kind of on high alert from that natural, the way we're designed and our brains are Mm. wired even to the chemical level of like, Hey, craziness has happened. Chaos is all around me. So I'm going to fight or I'm going to flight. And I mean, for, for the leader, for the listener, for ourselves, who is learning to prioritize our own mental health and Mm. on a journey with that, specifically in the area of maybe let's take it to negative thought life for a second, you know, what would you say to them? Because I just believe, and I've experienced that I've had a negative thought life at times. And I've also experienced Mm -hmm. the joy from a more positive thought Mm -hmm. life and this process of renewing. And it's, it's changed dramatically from when I was younger. I think of you know, quite honestly, when I was in fifth through eighth grade, I had these tension headaches that were debilitating and my, my mind, my thought life was not a very healthy place. And I had some perfectionism. I had some just things that I was dealing with at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And then I realized like I had my own moment and counseling therapy, prayer, um, scripture, meditation, those were all a part of the process, Mm -hmm. but coming back to maybe from a neural neurological approach or brain chemistry approach, or taking it in your wheelhouse, Dr. John, what would you say to the person who kind of is stuck feeling like, I know that my emotions are running wild. I'm, I'm caught up in the game of us versus them. And I wish I was thinking positive thoughts, I have that as a hope, a goal, a desire, an aspiration, but I'm over here in the negative camp. Take it there for a second. That's such a great question. And thanks mm-hmm. for sharing your personal journey, man. Um, and there's a lot to unpack here. We could talk for a couple hours on just that one question, which I just, I love that question. Um, so if you ask me what the most important psychological finding in the last hundred years, and we may have talked about this last time, um, Dr. Martin Seligman, for, for eons, we thought that some people were just born with a disposition. They were Eeyore. They were grumpy. They were pessimistic. And that some were just born, like, cheery. Like, we all know that woman at the office, and we're like, oh, gosh. And she's like, hi, how are you? And it's like, that's enough of you, right? We all know that person. 
and or the person you meet and they're coming it's zero degrees and they're smiling like you too right so there's people who are just joyful and optimistic right and what dr seligman went on to discover through his research was optimism is a learned behavior wow. and anytime i look at something and see that it's a learned behavior ultimately at the, at the root it means it's a choice it's a decision and so most of us are, myself included, I am a weird mix of an obnoxious optimist. Like, I just think things are going to work out. And I also think we're probably all going to die on the way, right? So I have this, I'm an obnoxious optimist. And my, my self-talk, the, the thoughts that run are really hard. They're really, I'm really tough on myself, on my community. Like, I got some hard, some dark thoughts that run through all the time. And so couple things I've had to learn. Number one, I am in control of my thoughts, not the other way around. Mm, and good. we think that our thoughts run the show and they simply don't. They run where they're allowed to run. And even going back to some of the counselor ideas back in the 90s, you just got to get that anger out. And so they would tell you to be more angry and get a punching bag and put his face on it and punch it and you're going to feel better. What you're actually doing was regrooving your brain even deeper. To make that a more instantaneous response. Oh, anger. Okay, cool. Let's go to anger even faster. And so now the it used to be a joke, the old Bob Newhart skit. But now the joke was, uh, it used to be a joke, and now it's it's becoming more mainstream in therapeutic practices. Hey, uh, how do I quit being angry? Stop. I've seen that. Right? I've seen that video. I know what you're talking about. Choose to practice, and that's the other magic word is practice. We live our lives like every second is the Super Bowl and every we get one shot. And if we screw it up, everything's over and it's all coming down. It's not. I'm practicing being a good husband every day. And that means most of the time I'm going to get it right. Sometimes not. I'm going to practice changing the, my default setting in my thoughts. What does that look like? I will. Sometimes I'll be walking through the living room and my I'll just say, nope. And my wife will just start laughing because she knows I had a thought and I was like, hey, I, th I think, I think my boss is, uh, why, why was I on that speaking event? I think my boss is trying to cut me out. Why is he cutting me out? I'm working real hard. And next thing I know, I'm like, I'm quit. I quit. I'm out of here. I'm going to find another job. I'm already, I'm texting a buddy who's a president of a college. I'm like, Hey, you guys got any hope, right? It goes so fast for me. Right. And when, now when I, that first thought pops in, why did I get not added on that speaking event? I stop and go, nope, not doing that. I'll write it down. I carry this with me everywhere, right? And I'll write it down. Wow. And when I see my boss next, I'll say, hey, popped into my head the other day. Can we just walk through? I was really hoping, and this goes back to the grief. I was hoping to be on that event. For whatever reason, y'all thought it was best if I wasn't on that event. Will you walk through that with me? And now my thoughts are going, my thought is they're doing what's best for this company, what's best for the people in that audience, mm -hmm. what's best for that event. I'm choosing to look that way until he goes, well, we wanted you on it, but you're an idiot. So, I mean, then, then I'm going to deal with, oh, no, I need to get another job. Uh, Amos Tversky is a famous psychologist who says pessimism is dumb because if it comes true, you've experienced it twice. Once when you worried about it and once wow. when it actually happened. Mm -hmm. So what a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And here's another important thing. And, and man, this is a soapbox for me. Rumination feels like helpful thinking rumination thinking about it over and over and over staying up in the middle of the night you know you wake up and you're like oh no do we have enough bread 
well, you don't have enough bread because you're because you're an idiot. You don't even know how to shop. If I was a better wife than I, or a better husband, I'd know how to shop. He's going to leave me. You know, you didn't hear how it just goes on you at 3 a.m. It feels like our, we are using those thoughts to protect ourselves. Hmm. And an important thing that a therapist told me just recently was rumination is a complete and utter waste of time. Wow. A waste of time. And so when I now when my brain takes off, I now have some language to say, all right, that's that's done. It's not helping anything. And in the past, I I didn't even think about it. I thought I was getting some. I wasn't getting anywhere, right? And so I comes back to I get to choose the thoughts in my head, not the ones that shoot in like lightning bolts. Those things come, those weird images, those weird desires, those you know, like things that freak yourself out. Those things pop in, old boyfriends, old girl, whatever happens. That lightning bolts in your head, and from that moment on then I got a choice. Am I going to meditate on this? Am I going to think about it? Am I going to go down that road? Or am I going to say, no, not today. And I'm going to go on to something that's going to be more beneficial for me and my family and my community. My gosh, I love talking about this topic. And that is joy and optimism and positivity and encouragement Mm -hmm. and love the language that you used. I learned a number of things from the psychology side of it. And I just keep coming back to what you said about it being a choice. And I wrote this down in my journal that is similar. It just doesn't have the cool <laughs> stickers yet. Which it, yeah. yeah. No, these are low self-esteem stickers. I'm just trying to be tougher than I am. It's <laughs> cool. Um, but I wrote down every second isn't the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And and I just go, oh my gosh, because I'm driven and I'm I'm, you know, wired to, to think like, okay, there's only one shot at life, which is true on planet earth. We're living the temporary human experience as an eternal being. But then I, I look at like Tom Brady, he just announced his retirement this week as we record and I've not met him, but I've watched him play a lot and his retirement thread on Twitter. I enjoyed reading this so much because Like I literally read every word and I was like, man, I shared it. I was like, this is so fun to read because here's somebody who has competed and won more Super Bowls than anybody else. Mm -hmm. But he realized the importance of practice. He realized the importance of teammates, coach, coaches, discipline, the works, fans, family. Um, It was Mm -hmm. all a part of the process. And, you know, I think he exemplifies at least from a player standpoint of like what it meant to own his past and also change and champion his future. And so I just, one one thing, what my favorite thing I saw, and it made me laugh out loud. And I love a good, uh, if you've ever listened to my show, we are always ribbing each other. The folks on there, like we we probably go too far. We get some letters sometimes, but I, 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 I just have that sense of humor and the New York giants, they tweeted out. It was, fantastic something along the lines of tom brady loser of two super bowls to the new york giants retires after 22 seasons so it was a gr- hilarious like poke tweet at the legend but it reminded me the greatest player to ever suit up in any athletic endeavor outside of michael phelps lost multiple super bowls and so for crying out loud if i forget to pick up my shoes when I'm trying to be a more engaged and present husband, when I'm trying to be a better steward of my body and I just have a meltdown where I just crush a bag of gummy candies and a thing of ice cream, I'm practicing. I'm leaning that way. I'm edging my way towards it. And I'm all about all in, all the, I get that all in, but I'm all in 
on practice. I'm all in on moving forward. And then there's going to be a moment or two in our lives, just a few of them, that it is full on game time. You cannot screw this up. We need you to step fully in. And all those years of practice, that's when you make that Good. shot. That's when Tiger Woods hits that, that, that drive, right? There it is. That's oh my so gosh, good. that's fun. And as we're talking about taking a step forward and leaning in that way, as each of us take a step towards healthier, maybe mental thoughts and capacity, plus like the relational, you know, health and our own personal bodies on a practical note, how can we change our actions when they feel automatic? And maybe mm-hmm. we've kind of already went there with a fight or flight type thing. Maybe you want to take it one step deeper of your findings of what you've been writing maybe want like just elaborate on that last part of just like how can we change our actions when they feel automatic michael that's such a great great question (laughs) that question i think is um a cultural question and the whole point of writing this book was to pull that question apart Mm -hmm. and we've we've been told that we are simply a product of circumstance and environment. And once you're on the train, the train's left the station. This is the rest of your life. And you need somebody else to come bail you out, right? We need some, somebody else to come make things okay. And what I am desperate for folks to do is to stop living automated lives. Mm-hmm. Stop outsourcing our lives and start taking ownership of those little things. And this can happen to folks who have this much wiggle room because they're 16 they're an abusive household and no one will listen to them Mm -hmm. and so to say hey just take ownership it sounds like i'm just beating you down and i'm not or i've worked most of my career in higher ed with marginalized populations people that are kicked to the side because they look the wrong way or whatever and it sounds like i am you just need to step up you wherever you happen to be whether it's an inch or a mile that next step It's deciding I'm not going to live an automatic life. And so I think the first thing you have to do to answer your question is you got to be aware. You got to, you have to be reflective. What are the things I just do every minute of every day without even thinking about it? I found myself, I started pulling apart the, the gap. Okay. And here's what I mean by the gap, the gap between what happens or a feeling and my response to it. And if the, gap, the, the more that bigger that gap gets, the, the, that's mental health. That's mental wellness. I've got a stimulus. Somebody made me mad. Somebody made me angry. You hurt my feelings. You looked at me in a way that somebody who abused me 25 years ago looked at me and my body's like, oh, I remember that look. Like whatever happens. And then are you going to say something? Are you going to post something? Are you going to thumbs down something? What's your response? And I found, I just started tracking myself. Why do I eat so much sugar? I'm such, I'm obnoxious about my health, about the food I eat. And then I realized, in a, I was having a disagreement with my wife one night. She was telling me I needed to do better at talking with my kid. And I thought I was doing the right thing. I just started walking towards the fridge. I was just headed that away. And I wasn't hungry. This is after dinner. That's just where I was going. And then the next day I was doing something here at the office and I had a hard meeting where I got mad about do a temper tantrum about something because I was being a dramatic little baby. And one of my bosses, she's got a drawer full. I mean, just, it's like a diabetes center. (laughs) I mean, it's just like a drawer of, and I just walked straight to it. And then I thought, Oh, there it is. When I get disconnected relationally, whether with a supervisor, with my wife, with my kids, I head for the sugar. And so what I've got to do is I've got to create a new practice Mm -hmm. that is more healthy 
both short-term and long-term, right? So it comes down to awareness. And then it comes down to the hard, hard truth. This is comes down to the ownership part. We have to look in the mirror and say, a lot of our challenges, not that happen to us, but that we're continuing to do our actions, our behaviors, we have to take ownership and stop doing that stuff. Um, we've got to change how we eat. We've got to change how we love. We've got to change how we try to fix our spouse instead of listening to them and being with them. Mm -hmm. We've got to stop being angry. We've got to turn off the news, even when our body feels like we're missing something, right? So it starts with ownership. I tracked my stuff. I mean, and I'm a nerd and I get that, but it was that important to me to change behaviors. Yeah. And then it takes, it takes one generation because now my son's watching me and he's watching how I live and my daughter's watching how I live. And then that is going to be the model and the picture for how they raise their kids. And so in one generation, if I'll put the work in and do the hard stuff, it's going to be annoying. I'm going to die a little bit younger, but they are going to carry the new picture forward. Right. Yeah. I That's love good. that. We love that. That resonates with mm -hmm. our heart on so many levels. Even mm -hmm. the why behind this podcast is reaching the next generation in our world today. And mm -hmm. we believe in young adults. We believe mm -hmm. in the plural mm -hmm. future generations to come. And some right. of that happens, like you just mentioned, in our own home. And Mike and I, we have two little girls. Uh, Aurora is 21 months. Mm -hmm. Avalon is five months. So y'all are in it. We're oh my it. gosh. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> sleep is a challenge. Um, yeah. it's, it's just, it's a struggle and, and it's a, it's a myth right now. right? <laughs> yes. And Great in theory. Can I sit with my eyes open and a coffee in my hand? Micah, you're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to hold my face open. <laughs> those toothpicks that um, and i mean parenting matters to me so much and full disclosure this morning micah posted an instagram story that was so cute our daughter she was like had a ponytail in and stuff and micah posted this with you know how you can like add a little soundtrack to a picture or a video and she played the one that was and i haven't heard this song taylor but swift. taylor yeah. swift sings never grow up and so then I already have tears in my eyes. Then I go into YouTube and I play the song <laughs> never grow up. And now I'm full blown, like uncontrollably sobbing. I'm weeping mm. before the workout this morning, before <laughs> work. That was part of my Devo this morning is I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm 30 years old. I'm older than I thought I'd be. My daughter, like my daughters are growing fast. My parents are, are age, we're, like time marches on. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, like, I'm processing all these emotions real time at 142 today, but do you have any parenting advice for us, for the listener who might be a college student, but hoping to raise kids in the next right. generation someday, but mm. like take it any way you want to, but how can we be the best parents that we can be? Man, that. It's hard. It's a touching question because I got two little ones and I got a son that looks like I cloned him. I mean, we look identical and I have a daughter who acts just like me. And so um, luckily my son takes after my wife and my daughter, man, it's going to be all, it's going to be a ride. I hope, and I, I, I hope that 18, 19, 20 year olds listen into this will love themselves and that's got such a terrible connotation and somehow this has seeped its way into our churches into our communities that 
looking in the mirror and being okay with who you like that we're supposed to beat ourselves up that's the only way to be accepted it's the only way to be loved it's the only way to be saved and i think that's 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 spitting in the face of and i you know i i i'm a christian believer it spits in the face of a deity that says i love you and you have value mm -hmm. and if i look in the mirror and go no you don't you know what i mean yeah. So I want an 18, 19, 20 year old to treat yourself like that. Mm -hmm. And then when you have kids, I want you to treat them as though they are valuable beings to be with. We think our kids are, we got to shove all this information in them. We have to, you know, if, if they have one gram of sugar, it's all coming down. If they step out of line or talk back just once, it's all over and I'll show them. And what we do generation after generation is we pass along power. We try to pass along mm. dynamic like these. Uh, I've got bigger muscles than you, so you must do what I say. Mm. We never teach them, hey, you're in this with us. And here's what accountability and community looks like when others are counting on you. So mm. my six-year-old knows the house doesn't work without her. Mm. And that, that can be wow. helping with dinner or helping with the plates or whatever, helping with me mow the lawn. That also is how we talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, man, there's a billion books. There's a billion this is and that's. Can I just tell you, put your phones down mm -hmm. and touch your kids on their face. Mm -hmm. If you got little ones, crawl down on all fours and look them in the eye. You close the power hierarchy gap. If you're a Christian believer, the same way God closed that gap with us, mm -hmm. get down on all fours and be with, be with your kids. And what that does to their nervous system, to their physiology, to their spirits is they know they can anchor in. I am loved. And when I'm loved, I'm safe. And my That's body good. doesn't take off on me. And now I can go do all those crazy things because that guy, that lady, they're always going to be there for me. Mm -hmm. And we try to overcomplicate it, man. Put your phones down and touch your kids on the face. Be with them. Wow. Man, right. And I'll tell you this. I'll tell you one more thing. <laughs> I. This goes for everybody. I was, I was doing an, a, a cool thing about going back to grad school as an old guy. Well, and I'm not old, but you know what I mean? Uh, as my, I did a, a practicum. I did a, an internship a psych, with, with a psychologist who was younger than me. It was awesome. He was like 32 or something. He was a young savant. He's smarter than me by a hundred X. He's incredible. But we were working with the, the worst of the, I mean, truly traumatized abuse children. And it was a mm. hard summer. What, and, and my son was young and I would ask thinly veiled questions about our clients, but I was really just asking this brilliant man parenting advice. And so one day we had just I'm like, we're left, doing it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just left this really tough session with a little boy who had told us it was just heartbreaking. And you're also, it's play and you're playing with them. So and you're talking with them and he had said some real disparaging things about women. And as I left, we left the room and we're walking to the next room to see the next kid. I asked Dr. His name's Dr. Gomez. Hey, Dr. Gomez, what, what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to tell a kid to make him treat his wife right or to treat women with respect? And he knew what I was doing and he just smiled and he goes, dude, if you want to teach your son to respect women, treat your wife right. And then he just walked into the next room and I followed up with him later and he said, Dude, you can say anything you want to kids. Hmm. They don't listen to you. They watch you. They yeah. watch everything wow. you do. And so you want your kids to be joyful? Model joy. You want your kids to respect adults and respect one another and not talk bad about people? 
get that out of your life. You want your kids, you know, you know what I'm saying? You want your kids to be thoughtful about problem solving. <laughs> Let them see you working through problems in a dignified way. If you get angry, show them what anger is about and then apologize if you say something stupid. So it's about modeling. What kind of picture do you want to present to them? That's so good. That's a lot. Sorry. That's kind of a soapbox for me. No, I love it. We have time to, to hear from that. And we're going to wrap up with our last section. So for the listener, we love this. They love this. It's called five and five. We've done this before. And so there are five new questions. So five thoughts. I was going to say, good. If you ask me the five old questions, I might answer them totally differently. So you I wouldn't even know. Like I have never answered this for me that's, before. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. So are you up Fantastic. for the challenge? Let's bring it on. Let's do this. All right. Make so them good. Make them, make them, make them a little bit weird. Oh, a little bit weird. Okay. So here's a question that we, this is a selfish, this is a selfish question that we're leaning into right now. What does a Sabbath day look like as a parent with little kids? Because essentially you're always on, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do we model a Sabbath well, or how should we model a Sabbath? Well, if we're desiring a family someday. First, middle, and last. It comes down to one magic word, and that's boundaries. Here's an example from my house. Um, I'm coming off a hard season. Writing this book was really tough. Yeah. And it involves like a I, – I called a timeout and started over. I wrote another 82,000. There's probably 40,000 words that have been cut out. I mean, this thing was a big thing. And I was on the road a lot. I was just tired and cooked and fried. And a few Saturdays ago – um, I said to myself, I'm going to read this entire book today, all of it. And I sat down on the couch and for the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, my kids kept coming around. I'm hungry. Can I, wanna... Hey dad, you want to go play? And then instantly my son would say, Hey dad, you want to go play? I felt guilty, which you were talking about, Josiah. There's only a few more years. He's going to ask me to go play, man. You're going to waste it on the couch. I mean, on a chair, reading a book, you're going to, what I needed that day was to just stop. I was fried. I was cooked. I needed to just read a book and be present. And so I had to have the boundaries with my son. I had to practice. I had to tell him, nope, today's dad's going to read. We'll go for a hike later on this evening, but I'm not playing with you. You go be bored. You go play. We got six acres out there. Go chase the chickens or I don't care what you do. Go play. Well, dad, don't you want I'm holding this boundary firm, right? And it was hard and it was weird. It was uncomfortable for all of us, but it was the right thing to do that day. Before the boundaries, I think we're really terrible, especially young parents, because we're just so attenuated to like every little thing is we have to ask ourselves and be honest, what do you need? Mm -hmm. There's an entire industry that's designed to make women especially, but men too, feel guilty for having their own needs with little ones. Mm -hmm. I need to be away from these two kids right now, or I'm going to set the whole house on fire and it's snowing outside. I'm going to do it anyway. And then you feel guilty for wanting to be away from your kids, right? And it just goes into a shame spiral. And then you get on the internet and somebody's trying to sell you a new program on how your needs matter. Your feelings matter. Mm -hmm. Sit down with your partner and say, hey, look, I need to be away for three hours today. And Mm -hmm. they need to say, great, I'm going to fill the gap. I'm going to hold your arms up in the desert today. Mm -hmm. So it's about asking, what do you need? And then boundaries, 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 boundaries. That's so good. I find those moments challenging. I'm just like in my head, I'm like, someone's going to lose their salvation today. (laughs) (laughs) No, someone's going to meet their salvation. I'm like, wait, it's only been five minutes of crazy. Okay, let's move on, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
So, you know, I, I love the Ramsey solutions work that you guys are doing. I just picture the wisdom of Solomon, like people, Queens, Kings, people sought out Solomon from all around the world to just ask for help and insight on daily living. And that's what I picture with Ramsey solutions. Love the new building. It was fun to tour not too long ago with um, Ken Coleman and some of the team. And, you know, we just, we love tag teaming these episodes, love the new resources that you are putting out. And so take this in the direction of mental health, or I know finances are a big tension point for a lot of people in general. And that's mm-hmm. a huge part of what you do. So if you want to take it even to maybe money, but for the the listener who's desiring marriage and they just believe that marriage is on their heart and they're in singleness or they're dating, they're evaluating, they're maybe engaged, mm-hmm. planning for that wedding. What would some healthy marriage advice be in our world today? Related to money, I think there's a couple of important things. One is Uh, my friend Rachel Cruz wrote a book about it, is being honest about where you come from financially. We grew up, I wrote about it in my new book. My dad was a homicide detective. He was an awesome guy. And he made $19,000 a year when I was a kid. And there was days that he went to the grocery store. He knew there was no money in the account. And they had, it was back before everyone had a credit card. They had these magical little things called debit cards where you could swipe them and maybe they would go through or, and charge you a crazy late uh, overdraft fee or they wouldn't. And sometimes he had to buy. So I come from a, re, a true scarcity mindset when it comes to money and it rattles my bones. And my wife grew up very poor, not very poor. Um, that's really not fair, but her, from two teachers, they lived outside of town. They didn't have a lot growing up. She has a completely different perspective just because of how they interacted, their community, mm-hmm. how they, their family talked about money. So for her, abundance is like, awesome, let's go buy this cool thing. And for me, I'm, I'm like, let's bury it in the yard because you never know, right? <laughs> so it's, a, it's being honest about the stories. How, how are you when it comes to money? What is your tendency? Do you like to spend to make yourself feel better or do you like to save to make yourself feel better? So who are you when it comes to money? The second thing is when it comes to money, man, we are not honest with math in this country. We're not honest with math in the mirror. And we expect to go to college at all costs, no matter what, take on a bajillion dollars of student loan debt or whatever we have to do to go to that school. It's got to be a Jesus school or this school had the prettiest campus and I just feel at home that whatever. We mortgage our souls on these things. And then we expect to have a car that looks like this and a house that looks our first house looked like that. And we're not realistic when it comes to money. And that's heartbreaking because I want to live in New York. I want to live in Los Angeles. I want to live in Minnesota. And I got to look in the mirror and say, I simply can't afford to exist here because of previous decisions I've made. Right, wrong, or indifferent. And I think people get taken advantage of when it comes to student loans, all that. I worked in that world for 20 years. Like I get it. And I signed my name on a piece of paper that said I owe six figures in loans and I got to figure out what to do next. So that may mean I got to live in Kansas for a couple of years. Right. And Kansas is kind of awesome too. Right. So it's being, it's, it's, man, I didn't mean to do this. This sounds super cheesy now, but it's the title of the book. You got to own your past when it comes to money. And now you've got to be about changing your future together. And then you got a three, you got to come up with some goals. How are we going to leave? What, where are we aiming as a couple financially? Do we want to own our home outright? Do you want to go back to grad school? Mm-hmm. Do we want to live in this town and this neighborhood? What, what does that look like? And what things mm-hmm. do we have to do right now so that this happens 10 years from now and 15 years from now? 
Okay. In that goal setting process, we like, I've been following Dave Ramsey since I was 16 years old and he had a podcast come out on the original iPhone. And the first video that you guys did was my story about graduating debt-free because, um, like I, I listened to him and I was crazy enough to believe you don't need to take on student loans. So question 2.5 yes. is when you're married or you're in life and your goals that you've set begin to also compete for the same amount of time or the mm. same amount of resources in this season. And you want to build a fence um, for safety and you want a hot tub for pleasure and delight. And you also want a minivan instead of the vehicle that you own, but you're trying to pay cash for all of it. What is your insight on conflicting or competing goals? Ooh. Such a great question. Two things are important to remember. Number one, behavior is a language. What does fence building, what am I saying when I'm trying to build a fence or bury my money? I'm saying that I don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. That's the question there. Money is just the proxy for my body trying to find safety. If I spend lavishly and I'm crazy about spending that story, that behavior may be communicating quietly or loudly. Um, I don't feel like I'm enough. I'm chasing external adornment to make myself feel whole. And it never mm -hmm. comes. And I just got to buy bigger and fancier and shinier things. So I always, anytime a couple, like me and my wife, we get sideways on things like that. I always want to say, okay, what's the root thing here? What are we actually discussing? Because we're not discussing burying the money or spending the money. We're discussing, am I safe or are we going to be okay? Or are we going to die with a bunch of money buried in the yard and having had no fun at all, right? What, what, what are we actually doing here? The second thing is, is I always want to write down these stories, these stories that I tell myself about how I'm not safe or we don't have any fun around here or I'm sick of driving this old Honda. I need, I got, <laughs> my favorite is you take, you get two little kids and sorry if I'm poking on you too. We haven't talked about this, but my bad if, if I'm, if I'm wandering into marriage conflict without knowing, but we, we literally get a 10 pound little bread, a loaf of bread <laughs> and we create an entire room for it. We spend all this money decorating it and making it just, it's literally 10 pounds. It's a lump of human or six pounds. It could, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be ugly, but we could put some, some uh, blankets and put it in a box by our bed. It, everything would be fine. Mm -hmm. And then you have the second kid. And so now you've got a two-year-old that's 25 pounds or 30 pounds. And then another seven pound thing. And you think, you know what? I don't need a 2000 pound metal box that we drive around in. I need a 5,000 pound. And so you get a suburban for, for 40 extra pounds of human, right? Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> I say that to say, we have all these, mm -hmm. what's that really about? Most of the time, sometimes it's about safety. Sometimes it's about, I'm concerned for the well-being. Often it's about, well, I want to be a good mom. And those moms that I've put in my pic the picture in my head, they're good moms. They drive those cars and I want to be like that. Or as a husband, I want my wife to be driving the best. I want her when she pulls into the drop-off line or when she drops off at work and what I want her to stand the tall so it becomes about ego and it becomes about mm -hmm. presentation it's not about what do we actually need right now yeah and so those are all going to get those stories and demanding evidence from them all right here's a fun silly question so our daughter's favorite word lately is silly everything's silly so here's a question for you dr john would you rather 
Would you rather have a conversation with a talking gorilla or see a giraffe tie his neck in a knot? And why? Which one and why? For sure. My dad's kind of gorilla-ish, and so I feel like I've had that conversation before. He's a, just a big guy. I would um, much rather see a giraffe tie its neck in a knot. That would be fun to watch. All right. I, it Just for pure spectacle. That would be fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's my silly question of the day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, maybe to close things, what would be a word of encouragement for those navigating conflict in a relationship? Hmm. often conflict turns into you versus me Mm. and in a relationship if you win and they lose you both lose right that's good and so in a relationship when you have conflict what i always want to do is sit side by side or across you know but this is metaphorical sit side by side with the person you're in relationship with and put relationship over here and say, what can we do? What's this engagement that we're, we're in the middle of to make this thing stronger? Last night, I had a hard conversation with my wife. It's a couple of weeks coming. Here's this, I'm in this season. I feel this way. I need to check in because I'm beginning to be tired of all these feelings, these thoughts that are burning through them. And I've reached a point where I can't keep saying, no, that's not true. No, that's not true your actions are starting to feel true. So let's have this hard conversation. It's not good. But so there was definite conflict. There was tears. There was like back and forth. But all of that was not to make her not feel bad or to make him feel less bad. It was all in service of this thing. We got to have this conversation. So this thing becomes okay. And this thing is our relationship. This thing is our marriage. This thing is our family legacy this thing is important. And that means we're going to be uncomfortable in the present. We're going to have hard conversations. We're not going to keep secrets and tell the truth so that this thing grows. Right. And there's some days I got to prune myself back so that this thing grows and mm-hmm. I've got to say hard things. So this thing grows. Right. So when you're having navigating conflict, you always have to say it's about the relationship. It's about preserving this thing. It's not about winning or it's not about avoiding discomfort. It's good. Incredible. That speaks to, I know all of us Mm -hmm. and Dr. John, we just want to say thank you so much Mm -hmm. for investing in Micah and I investing in this community of young leaders. We're thrilled about the launch of own your past, change your future. And one more time circling back, just thanks for what you do. And for this conversation today. Can I thank both of you? I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I've still got uh, the stories from my past when I would go on one date and then she would just say no for all the other times I asked. And so thank you all for having me back. I'm grateful for that. That uh, helps change one of my life narratives. So I'm really grateful for y'all that y'all are putting out positive stuff out into the world. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. You can connect more with us and check out the show notes from his new book, from what he's doing from the Dave Ramsey team and some of the amazing things that they're putting out with their material. When you connect with us at youngadults.today, as well across all the other social media platforms at youngadults.today. Again, this is Micah and Josiah signing off. Until next time. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.